Hello all, and welcome to the Plexus podcast series. We hope you enjoy our podcast today with our very own Brad Johnson, as he sits down with President David Armstrong of St. Thomas University over there in uh, Miami Gardens, Florida. Uh, they start actually start off with uh, his love for the Browns, uh, then the changes of the years as president of St. Thomas pre-COVID um, during the pandemic and even the plans uh, for their future. Thank you so much for listening and please be sure to subscribe and share. This is Brad Johnson with the Plexus Podcast, and today I'm very excited to have the president of St. Thomas University, David Armstrong, joining us today. How are you doing, David? I'm doing great, Brad. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, we, we are very excited to have you. So, so I got to start with the NFL draft. <laughs> Absolutely. NFL draft it's in Cleveland. Tonight. Just like the movie, it's in Cleveland. <laughs> It's in Cleveland, and I wanted to find out who are the Browns, who are they going to take? So I'm actually going to be in Cleveland for the draft. I'm actually flying out tomorrow morning. And, uh, but I hope tonight uh, – you only have one football on the field, and I think we need more defense right now. So, you know, some people are kind of scrambling. I'd love to see us get a big, tall receiver. Uh, Jarvis and Odell are obviously extremely talented, but they're short. I'd like to get a tall one. But in reality, we need linebacker help, defensive back help. And I know we signed Clowney. Everybody's excited about that. He's a great pass def- or run defender, actually. I'd still like to see another pass rusher compliment Miles Garrett. But uh, I-, I would love to see some defense. And I'm an offensive guy. And I'm an offensive line guy. I've been an offensive coordinator. But we really need some help on defense. Well, it'll be exciting. So remind me, now you, you coached football, right? I did. I coached at the high school level and then the college level, and then I was a head college coach. Got it. Okay. And where, did you, where were you head coach? I was a head college coach at Teal College in Greenville, Pennsylvania. Okay. And so to understand that, there's a Coke commercial that talks about how they're the, you know, losing this program in the country and their kicker stubbed his toe and all that kind of stuff. And that's where I was the head coach. And uh, when I took over, they hadn't won a game in three years, and I won my first game as head coach. Nice. And uh, should have retired right there. Uh, you learn that lesson as you get older. <laughs> Who's your favorite Brown? My favorite Cleveland Brown has to be Bernie Kosar. Uh, you know, we're, we're about the same age. And the connection now that I'm in Miami and he's a Miami guy, the fact that he wanted to come back to Cleveland, uh, you know, he's a Youngstown Boardman High School guy. And the fact that he wanted to come back and actually manipulated the draft and got into the supplemental draft so he can actually come back to Cleveland and be our Brown savior, you know, will always be, he's my favorite of all time. I I have a lot of other favorites, especially offensive line guys, uh, but he is my favorite Brown of all time. Right now, currently, I I love Baker. I mean, the guy, when no one else wanted to be in Cleveland, he did it and he made it happen with crappy coaches, a crappy owner, all this kind of stuff. And the guy has willed the Browns to be a contender, and I love him. He's got a lot of moxie. Bottom line, got a lot of moxie. If he was on another team, I'd hate him. Right. <laughs> what do you think of Ben Roethlisberger? <laughs> you know, I have a love-hate with Ben. Uh, obviously, I hate him because he's on the Steelers, and you know, I told you before, I'm in a mixed marriage. My wife's a Steelers fan. Um, 
we actually got engaged at a Brown Steelers game in Cleveland. I had the plane that was going to fly over with the, you know, will you marry me? Of course, it was too gray and dark and gloomy, so it did not fly. So I had to ask her outside. And uh, this was before the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was built. So it was a nasty harbor with, you know, homeless people and rusty benches. And that's where I proposed to her. Uh, but all my family was back at the tailgate with champagne, which we've never had champagne at the tailgate. And, uh, but I told her after the game, the Browns, Bernie Kozar came back and beat the Steelers. And I told her, I said, if the Browns did not win, you weren't getting this ring. <laughs> and she looked at me and she goes, I know. <laughs> she knew that. So. Well, excellent. Well, hey, I know there's a lot that's been done at St. Thomas. You've been there for a couple of years. Um, and let me ask you, what's the difference between Kentucky and Florida? Uh, you know, I, I'll say this about living in Northern Kentucky. That was the furthest south I'd ever lived in my life. And, and Northern Kentucky really is a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio. So you had this great combination of Midwestern values and Southern hospitality in Northern Kentucky. It was such a cool vibe in that way. But I really learned a lot about Kentucky. And my in-laws lived in Houston, Texas. My, my father-in-law grew up in Manhattan, but he loved Texas. And Kentucky and te Texas remind me of each other. There's such great pride. And you wouldn't think that, you know, the country makes fun of, and I'm used to being a guy from Cleveland that the country makes fun of, you know, people make fun of Kentucky. It is a very prideful state, and it's so it's such a cool place nature-wise. There's cliffs and mountains and rivers and lakes and whitewater rafting, and I mean, it's just you just don't know that unless you see it in this beautiful country. And you know, when I when I you know, it brings me to tears when I hear you know my my old Kentucky home. It's just uh, I learned to really love Kentucky, Florida. Um, always loved Florida. Always loved visiting Florida. And to be honest, right now it's the best state in the union. Governor DeSantis has done a great job of balancing the safety of the people that are most in, vulnerable for the pandemic, yet keeping business open. We have people, before the pandemic, we had a thousand people coming here a day to move to Florida. Now they're estimating it could be anywhere from two to 3,000 people a day coming to Florida and wealth and business. Silicon Valley people are coming to Florida. And so it's a very exciting place to be. I always joke with my wife that it seems like wherever I go, and it, it happens to be the hottest place in the world right now. So love it. And I mean that in the, in the best sense of the word. So I know it has nothing to do with me, but it's good choices. <laughs> well, when you talk about the, the pandemic and, and changes, so let's talk about, let's talk about your tenure at, at St. Thomas. I know you started back in, in 2018 and um, a lot's changed. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm a turnaround guy and St. Thomas was uh, just coming out of a failed merger as I always say, there's nothing worse than a merger than a failed merger. Uh, both schools that were involved in that potential merger were struggling coming out of that. And that's no fault of no one, but that's what happens. Plus all the challenges that are going on with smaller faith-based liberal arts institutions. And so uh, I was asked to come in here and, and turn around the finances. And um, so there's a lot of tough things and tough decisions you need to make and those kind of things. But right away, you got to increase your revenues and decrease your expenses. Very simple, just like in any business. And that's kind of what uh, I, I bring in a team that can do that. Um, I used to think I could do all the things by myself, and then I learned I was a real crappy leader then. Uh, but if I get great people around me, all of a sudden everybody thinks I'm a great leader. So uh, I learned that trick, if you will. But um, here we go through the year, and we bring in the largest class in the history of the school in August of 19. So we're on a roll, and we're going through the year, and then you know, spring 20 hits and the pandemic hits 
And obviously everybody was freaking out. A lot of schools were pulling back their goals, their revenue goals and things like that. And I'll tell you what we did is we doubled down. Uh, I learned from some great mentors that when, when there are challenges, recessions, depressions, those kind of things, uh, my boss, Andy Roth, who was the president of Notre Dame College when I was there for 10 years with him, uh, he had a great line. He said, never forget that a lot of people make a lot of money when things are bad. And so it's all, it's all perspective. And so I met with my whole enrollment team, law school, the university, everything, about 50 people, athletics. We use athletics as an enrollment driver. And I met with them the day after the shutdown was called. And I said, listen, on Zoom, I said, all of you right now are thinking on this call today, I'm going to say, I'm going to pull back our goals. I said, just the opposite. We're going to increase everything 10%. Because for the first time in your career, you're going to be sitting at home or in your office with nothing else to do. So you have nothing to do but recruit. That's number one. And number two is, for the first time in your career, you'll know where the students are. They're at home. So get to it. And so here, throughout that whole shutdown and that pandemic and all that kind of stuff, in the August of 20, we brought in the largest class in the history of the school. So two straight record classes. And I couldn't have been more proud of the effort of all our people and what they did to do virtual visits and virtual meetings and virtual orientation and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, for us in Miami, you know, there's, there's, you know, you never waste a crisis, right? I've been able to drive around Miami and actually get the meetings on time. That has never happened before. You know, Miami's crazy with traffic. And so, you know, we found that people actually liked virtual orientation. They didn't have to get there at 8 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday and have to deal with traffic. And so, or on the weekday. And so, you know, we found some positives, you know, some uh, needles in the haystack and some positives in, the, in, the, in this tough, tough and trying time. So how long was your campus closed? So myself and Jacobs Hardwick at Florida Memorial and Mike Allen at Barry University, we got together and talked. And we actually uh, started uh, putting some, um, I don't want to say pressure, but calling the mayor of Miami-Dade, Carlos Jimenez, who's a great man who became a Congress, uh, U.S. Congressman uh, just recently. And we said, hey, listen, we're, we're a um, essential business. And we said, we need to stay open. Okay, you, you, if you want to cut that, you know, close down high schools and all that stuff, kind of stuff, that's fine. And we convinced him that we were an essential business. And so they carved out in their shutdown an actual phrase that allowed us to stay open. Now, I, in one of our arguments that we made was, is our kids, we had no COVID cases when we, before the shutdown, zero. Our COVID cases all occurred when we sent the kids home. It was crazy. I mean, so we were right that our students were safer at, on campus than they were outside. But when it started getting really hairy down here in the South, I actually sent our students home, closed the residence halls, because we were going to make ourselves available to uh, FEMA and the military in case they needed. At one point in time, we were negotiating about being a first responder um, uh, COVID um, holding place, if you will. So if somebody was a fireman or something like that, or EMTs, they didn't want to go home, we were going to house them. And it never happened that they needed us, which is a good thing, okay? But we went totally virtual at that point. We did virtual over the summer, but we were committed 
We were committed that we were gonna come back in person and virtual, giving our students an opportunity, whichever was best for them, but we were gonna be in person in the fall. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. And, and you know, you talk about online presence. I know St. Thomas has a strong um, presence, um, has a strong online distance education foundation. Um, and I know there's a big difference between competitive, uh, truly rigorous online delivery versus what, uh, what a lot of schools we're forced to do, which is get on a Zoom like we are today and imitate a classroom. Tell me a little bit about how that was an advantage for St. Thomas. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's you know, kind of getting right to the heart of the matter. So I'll say a couple things. Number one, let's talk 50,000 feet, okay? I don't believe virtual is a great education. I believe online is a great education, okay? But virtual is not online. Those are two separate things as you, you kind of inferred. And so, um, uh, this is one of my favorite stories of the pandemic and people say, well, you know, what happened? How'd you do it? You know, what was good? What was bad? On March 16th, we have a learning management system called Canvas and it's mandatory for faculty to use, right? Well, when you say mandatory to faculty, they, they hear, oh, I can volunteer to do this if I want, right? So we probably had about 50% of our faculty that were using our learning management system Canvas on March 16th of 20. Well, on March 17th of 20, 100% of our faculty were using Canvas because they had to, and we, we took four days to educate everybody and give them training. And so that was a good thing. Our school, our university became 100% better on March 17th because everyone was now conversant and using the learning management system. So there was a positive there, okay? But in, let's just talk K through 12, if you will. I believe that we've lost a generation of students because of the decisions that were made. 25% of the students in Miami-Dade School District do not have access to internet or anything like that, or computers or whatever. Are you kidding me? I mean, so these are the kids that are most in danger and we wouldn't let them come to class. That someday, and that's not just, I'm not calling out Miami because actually Miami did a great job of trying to get internet and computers to kids. But that's 25% that really are going to be behind. And, and I just heard from a, a K through 12 educator the other day at an event I was at, said that it takes three years for someone to make up a lost year. Hmm. You know, especially like reading and arithmetic and all that kind of stuff. And so I think, I don't think people are really truly understanding what we did, especially to the younger. Older kids, I think, can handle it. The younger kids, especially. But we try to do the best that we could under the circumstances. And so what we found was is we, uh, for the incoming fall, where we said we were going to offer in-person again, the majority of our students wanted in-person. Well, once we started it, it flipped. They said they wanted in-person, but then, you know, 60% of our students said they wanted in-person, 20% said they wanted virtual, 20% said they were going to do some version of a hybrid depending on their, what they were doing with jobs and so forth. It ended up turning around to be 60% of our students were doing virtual, 20% were doing a hybrid, 20% were in person. And so as the media and all that kind of stuff and everybody scared the hell out of everybody, that's kind of how it flipped. We then in November started telling our students to come back in person because we were st starting to see some slippage and we didn't like that. And we're pretty much fully back in person now. We're heading into the finals week, we have graduation. 
but we did, we were never gonna make decisions based on the panic, the political, or the timid. That was, I said this early, early on in the pandemic, we were not gonna make our decisions based on that. We were gonna make our decisions based on number one, giving our students the full collegiate experience for their money. Number two is that we were gonna make decisions based on facts and science. And we had, we had housing in August of 20, we had in-person classes, we had athletics, we finished all our seasons. We even had an in-person graduation in December for the 20 graduates. Everybody else did virtual, we did in-person. And we're gonna do in-person graduation again, and people are starting to do that now, this May. And so um, I can't be more proud of our faculty, our staff, and our administration, and our students, because we had minimal uh, COVID uh, issues, and the majority, I would say 90% of our COVID issues happened off campus commuters or families or those kind of situations. And so I think that we're a better university today. Like if we had a hurricane warning tomorrow, we can go to virtual like that and not miss any classes. Uh, but for the most part, I would say uh, online is a valid education, in-person's valid, virtual, not completely sold on it. But we also did learn that there will be a new track. So you have in-person, you have online, right? Uh, and usually online is for adults. But I can see in the future an online for undergrad. Because I think some kids like it, especially in our law school. And that was another positive. Our law school, when I first got here, I talked about an online JD. Big pushback. No way, no way. Socratic method, this, that, and the other thing. But after this experience, we now believe we can get a quality online JD. So when was the last time you put your legal expertise uh, in play? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, uh, I always say legal education is the true liberal arts education. You learn how to think analytically, think critically, read well, write well, communicate effectively. And law permeates every part of society. So there's not a day that goes by that I don't have some perspective, some legal perspective. And I would say I have my president's hat. And then I have my general counsel hat that I always have on the side, ready to go if I need it. And uh, so I probably make some legal um, opinion uh, or, or comment every single day. Uh, but obviously with the pandemic, it's been nonstop. And thankfully the Florida legislature passed uh, immunity from both uh, predators, uh, when it comes to uh, delivering online or virtual or whatever it is, and contractual, which is huge. And so um, it's been nonstop with this whole pandemic thing. So talk to me a little bit about the Pandemic Disaster and Quarantine Research Center and its impact. Absolutely. So in April of 20, I was calling some alumni and donors and trustees to wish them a happy Easter. And I got a hold of uh, uh, Vincent uh, oh my gosh, his last name is gonna is escaping me right now. I'll think of it though. Uh, one of our alumni who was on the board uh, or a, a higher administration of Exxon, and he's retired in San Antonio and wished him a happy Easter. And we started talking about what's happening. And he said, and he, it was his idea. He said, Dave, he goes, I, I really think that, you know, St. Thomas University can be a part of finding quality answers here by doing something about research because 
this is going to happen again in the future and we got to analyze the decisions that people are making as it pertains to our civil liberties as it pertains to business education politics he said somebody needs to be the repository of all that information because we're going to need it again someday i thought man that is a great idea and so uh i started i said can you send me an email and kind of outlining your thoughts and then i kind of started putting my thoughts down and um next thing you know uh i said you know what we're going to start a center and we hired a, a gentleman named oliver gilbert who was the mayor of miami gardens now he's a commissioner in miami dade he's our executive director and uh, we have two faculty members, Jose Rocha from the university and, and Todd Clark from the law school, who are our lead faculty members on this. And we have done all kinds of webinars on things such as vaccinations to how do you uh, save your business to loans and to PPP and just try to give as much information and gather as much information. Uh, our sports administration faculty have a huge sports administration faculty uh, program. And they did an article early on about the safety of actually going forward with athletics, and which we did. And so uh, during the pandemic, and so it was, uh, it's been a great thing for us. And uh, probably my most proud thing is, is that we got a grant from the Miami-Dade County out of the CARES money. We then helped them disperse it to minority-owned businesses here in Miami Gardens and Miami-Dade. That's probably our proudest moment, to make sure that those businesses don't fail. So we, we're kind of covering all the bases. So now as we look towards the future, you know, what are your, what's your biggest objective? What's one of the things that you're, you're focused on as you look to fall 2021 and, and the years ahead? Vincent Hennessy was the guy's name. It just came to me. I knew it would come to me. Vincent <laughs> Hennessy. I want to thank him. Um, what's coming ahead? Uh, you know, it, it's always a challenge with the smaller liberal arts schools, especially when, states are funding the state schools and more and more you know like florida has an ease grant a choice grant and and that's been under attack the last couple of years and we've given the state great roi for 40 years it shouldn't even be a question and so um you know funding is always an issue uh we have to make everything affordable but we have to give our students a return on their investment um our goal is to enhance continue to enhance everything that we do stay fiscally strong it all comes down to our um, new strategic plan. Uh, it's STU Limitless. Limitless devotion is the first goal. We are a Catholic Archdiocesan University, and so everything we do is sent, our mission is centered to everything that we do, um, faith building. Uh, number two is limitless opportunities, opportunities for our students academically, co-curricular and extracurricular, uh, and especially with experiential learning. Uh, so they can get uh, positions when they graduate, and then limitless results. We want to make sure that we are successful in all that we do, that we have money in our budget, that we're not uh, running deficits, and that we continue to live our mission for a long time by getting limitless results. And so that strategic plan is guiding us over the next five years. Um, you know, I, I've said early on when I first got here is that our goal is to, we have two great little Catholic colleges in Miami. We want to become that great Catholic university in Miami. Every great American city has a great Catholic university, and that is our goal. And we have some BHAGs in our strategic plan. One is to be STU Global. We want to, we believe that we have four or five programs that can go global online. And um, so we're going to be focusing on that. 
Uh, we're going to continue to uh, improve our facilities and grow residence life and uh, new, newer academic buildings, modern technology. So it's kind of a boiling the ocean, but uh, staying true to our mission and our strategic plan. So who, who do you see as your competition? You know, that's always, a, that, that's always a very interesting question because immediately smaller faith-based schools think that the other smaller faith-based school near them is the competition. That's not my competition. My competition is the large state universities. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why large state universities run commercials saying that they have the personal touch. It's because they know that the schools that are smaller or that do it are doing it right and statistically prove us out. Students that attend smaller faith-based liberal arts universities are more apt to graduate with a higher grade point average. They're gonna graduate in four years. That means with less death and less cost. And they're more apt to earn a terminal degree in the field. Now, when they did that in the original study, they were shocked to see that result. The big research university will produce more terminal degrees in, in the fields. No, per capita is the smaller schools. Why? Because they're smaller classes and they have access to the faculties who mentor them. And so um, there's a new study that just came out by Gallup, and they have six things that create what they call the magical experience in college. And only, and this is scary, only 2% of students say they receive that. But if you get statistics from a smaller faith-based liberal arts institution, that number is going to be way higher. And we've kind of distilled it down to three things that you need to have the magical experience. Number one, caring faculty who, met, who challenged the students academically, because one of the six things was a, doing at least one 10-page paper in their collegiate career. Hopefully, you do a lot more than one, okay? So, caring faculty that challenge you academically. Number two is character formation activities outside of the classroom. I always say 70% of what happens at college happens outside of the classroom with activities, student activities, athletics, clubs, all those kind of fraternity sororities. And then lastly, real world experience before they graduate. The last two universities I've been president, you know, Thomas More and then now here at St. Thomas, we have experiential learning as a requirement for graduation. Internships, co-op, study abroad, service learning, apprenticeships, whatever that is, our students have to have it in order to graduate. It's not suggested, it is a requirement. So the students have the intelligence, they have the acumen, and then they have that real world experience. That's the magical experience and that's what we're striving for through our limitless um, strategic plan. So I, I noticed behind you, you've got, I see footballs, I see helmets, I see diplomas. If you could pick one or two items that you could look at and go, boy, this is one of my prized possessions, what would that be and what's the backstory on that? Uh, I would say, Let's see here if I can get this. Now I just got the recording thing here or something. What just came up? Okay, now it's gone. Okay. Let me see if I can. Yes. Right there. Okay. That is the STU Bobcat helmet. So this university used to always, it housed the Miami Dolphins from 1970 to 1993. This is where they practiced. We still have the swing pool that Nick Bonacani and several players had an insurrection against Coach Shula and they made him build them a swimming pool. And then the Holiday Inn actually came in and built a Holiday Inn hotel on our campus. It's now called University Inn. We use it as a dorm. And they were here during their you know, best years. And I think they're, they have some great years to come. And, um, but everybody bragged about it. When I came in for my interview, I said, why are you bragging about that? that? 
they should still be here. Why'd you lose them? And so uh, I was very clear with the board that I was going to start football right away uh, to help turn our finances around. And the guy I hired, Bill Reichel, helped me start a football program in Cleveland at Notre Dame College in Cleveland. And he brought in 201 guys in year one. Our goal was to bring in 100 guys. He brought in 201. We have about 235 in the program now. And we had a winning season in just our second season. Even though we had to fight a hurricane, pandemic, couldn't have spring camp, couldn't have summer workouts, could only meet with 10 kids at a time on Zoom. It was crazy. And these guys produced a winning season with the toughest schedule in our conference uh, this year. So out of all the things in my office that I'm most proud of, uh, right now, at least right now, is that helmet. Well, excellent. Well, that is great. Well, I'll tell you, we really thank you for your time. This has been very educational uh, for us, and I'm, I'm really excited for the, the Plexus podcast listeners to, to hear everything that you've shared with us. So thank you so much, uh, President Armstrong. We really appreciate it. You got it, Brad. Thanks for having me on, and good luck with everything that you're doing. Excellent. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode with St. Thomas University in Miami Gardens, Florida. You can also find us on these social media channels on Instagram at Plexusgram, P-L-E-X-U-S-S-Gram, on Twitter at Plexus Updates, P-L-E-X-U-S-S Updates, on YouTube at Plexus Social Media. We can also be found on Facebook at Plexus. Thank you, and we hope you can join us on our next episode. Please remember to subscribe and share within your own network.